Would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3? 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be here in God's Word today. And this is why Shane said he was grateful that I did not give him this passage, because Peter's transitioning from outlining the duties of gospel believers throughout our society, in your workplace, in, in politic, in the public square, in governance. And he's going to begin to turn those immediate responsibilities, those duties of this newly formed nation, this new people of God, this new household of faith that's being created for God's glory, and he's going to start to mess with our homes. Now, today it would be easy for us to say, well, this passage is about husbands and wives, and so if I'm here today as a man and woman, and I'm, I'm not in that state of marriage, that it's easy for me to just tune this out. Actually, I believe that what God's going to show us is God's going to show us things as husbands that we can learn, even in the instructions that Peter gives to the wives. Wives, you're going to learn things about how it is that you can respond, even in the instructions that Peter gives to the husbands. Those who are in the state of singleness, whether that has been through divorce or through loss of a spouse or that's just the season that you're in, in a younger age, no matter the season or stage of life, even as Peter is addressing husbands and wives here, we will all learn something about what it is to live for the glory of God. Because Peter's primary point is not to say that once you're a husband or a wife, well, then you're a next level Christian. No, what he's doing is he's saying that the gospel has enough power to transform your marriage. And here's my concern today. I think that there are couples in this room that have lost faith in that. You're listening now, aren't you? I think that there are couples in this room that have lost faith in that. And it's my desire today that the good news of the gospel would be amazing to you as well. What we're seeking to see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, is how husbands and wives treat each other should be an example of the gospel in action. So before we read God's word this morning, would you pray with me to that end? Father, how we need you to understand how we need you. We are desperate on so many levels this morning. Lord, to the marriage that is weary here today, would you give strength and rest and comfort? To the single who sees these passages and sees these words and thinks, if only I were there, then God would meet my needs. Would you speak hope and comfort even in the season that they're in? For everyone here today, as we hear these words, as we dive into your word, May we receive power to live, not for our glory, but for yours, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be hidden, the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women of 
Women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, are you her children? If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I wonder if when you hear these words, if they feel a little prickly to you in today's culture. Oh, I don't think I like that word. Maybe the translation's wrong. Maybe it's a little more nuanced in the Greek. Perhaps there's something about the original language or the context that they were in that helps us to understand that, that to be subject doesn't mean to be subject. And, and maybe Maybe there's not actually this hierarchy in our home. Maybe the roles that God has created for husbands and wives mean something different for us today as, as his word is being revealed in new ways. And, you know, I heard this one speaker, and he said it this way, and I like that better. Maybe that's what it means for these words to be a little bit prickly to us today. They, there's something in our spirit that almost reacts in an adverse way that says, no, that can't be true. And even as we have very simply two points today, a point for the wives, a point for the husband, as we look at these passages together, we'll realize that we have to admit something that's true for all of us. None of us, men, women, married, single, none of us like to be submitted to others. There's something about our sinful nature that doesn't like the idea of being submitted to someone else. This can be true of the man in the workplace. This can be true of the woman in the workplace. This can be true of the man at home, the woman at home. This can be true of those who are single and they realize, I still have these responsibilities to an authority over me. What God is after here is our heart and the way that that is expressed in our homes. And he's using the illustration of husbands and wives to get after things where sin still remains. And he's reminding us that that sin no longer reigns in the life of the believer. So how is it that wives are to respond? Well, I think that there are some key principles that we see here that wives are to honor their husband and his leadership. Now let's be clear here. To submit does not mean to suppress your identity. It doesn't mean that you do away with your calling, that your gifts no longer have a place in your marriage. It's not blind obedience. Women don't just allow their husbands to do anything that they want to them. If there's anything like beating or abusing or harassment, that's criminal, not godly. If there are things like belittling or words that are putting down, that is sinful, not godly. There's not a place for that. Wives are not called to be subject. Women are not called to be subject to men in general. It is their husband that they are called to yield to. They play a particular role in honoring their spouse as their husband. He is the only one that you have eyes for. And there's an interesting illustration that Peter draws our attention to in verses 5 and 6. And it's drawn from Genesis, Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to turn there. I think we have it for you on the screens. Let me just read this for you here. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, 
I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind them. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? This is an interesting passage to use as an illustration, which is why I'm glad Peter did it and not me. But let's explore it a little bit this morning to understand what it is that Peter's after in all of our hearts. See, Sarah's submitting even in the midst of what seems to be a laughable situation. It's a laughable promise from God. There's actually a covenant named after this. And Sarah is laughing at this covenant of God. Now, Abraham had not always been honorable in his conduct, but Sarah was still called to honor him with her life. It must have been difficult to be married to Abraham. Abraham says things like this, come on, I had a vision, let's move to a strange land. If you know the story of Abraham, you know there's a couple times where he says, hey, pretend that you're my sister, and even though that didn't work last time, let's try it again. <laughs> you know what, hon, let's not take the best land, let's give that to our troubled nephew, Lot. How about this one? Honey, I'm going to go sacrifice our son, I'll see you in a few days. You know, the story of Abraham is filled with confusing points along the way, and yet all of those points draw our attention to this idea that God is working amongst his people. This is the guy that God made a covenant with to bless him and all of his descendants. Now, some of you may say, well, that's what's wrong with theology and doctrine is there's all of these terrible things in the past. This is what's wrong with covenant theology. No, you see, God chooses to work through me and you in the same way that he works through Abraham because if we're honest about our own story, we've got troubling plots in our past as well. No, God chooses to work through me and you as well today. So the problem is not with our theology. The problem is not with covenants. The problem is with our view of God and our view of ourselves. See, I gotta admit, Sarah's a little hood here. No, I mean that. She laughs at the idea of this. And then she just says, like, this is wore out. After I'm wore out, this is when this promise comes. Let's explore that a little bit. Just lean into it with me a little bit here. Maybe not talking about the childbearing days, but how many of you in your faith today are wore out? Maybe physically. You're facing issues of health. You're facing things that are difficult to understand. You still don't even have the answers. The tests aren't even done, and one test only seems to beget another. You are wore out physically. It's not about childbearing, but it is about your health. What about wore out emotionally? You're just tired of a life that doesn't look like you thought it was supposed to. 
When is it that others will understand what it is that I'm walking through? I am emotionally drained and wore out in this life. What about those that are wore out mentally? You're trying to keep up with everything and you find yourself overwhelmed. You know what you see, but others don't see your perspective and it is wearing you out mentally. What about those here that are spiritually wore out today? You have prayed, you've fasted, you've knocked on the door of heaven, you've made your supplications, but your circumstances don't change. What about the wives here today praying for an unbelieving spouse? What about the husbands here today praying for their unbelieving wives? You see, like Sarah, we can all come to this point of laughing at the promises of God because we are wore out in and of our own strength. And here's where the good news of the gospel comes in to minister us today. It reminds us of truths like he, those that wait on the Lord, will renew their strength. It reminds us that God's timing is perfect every time, even when we don't see it. It reminds us that there is a purpose, both in the pleasures of this life as well as the pain of this life, that God is working in us for what? For good. He is always working for our good even when it doesn't feel good. This is what the testimony of Scripture is. And I wonder at times if wore out becomes the new way that we excuse ourselves from living in the good of the power of the good news of Christ. Where are you wore out today, church? Can I just take a moment and pray for you now? Father God, we pray. Even for those that seem too wore out today to listen. Lord, it's not about Sarah being hood. It's not about husbands and wives. It's not about any of those things. It's about our relationship with you. God, I pray for those that are gathered here today. They keep returning to the same things, and it keeps letting them down. Holy Spirit, intervene in their lives now. Show that you are powerful and you are enough. Holy Spirit, minister to the wounded soul, to the heart that is tired of being broken, to the mind that is tired of being overwhelmed. Lord, for those here today who are wore out physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, give them a hope that can only be found in you as an anchor for their souls as a strength for today and a bright hope for tomorrow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, the call here is don't get wore out in your soul. Keep praying, keep believing for what God can do. And Peter is using the language of obedience and commands to illustrate a heart that is filled with respect and honor. Wives should not be seeking and private or in public to tear down or belittle your husband. Now, I think there's a difference in what might be described as the division of labor in a home where individuals take on tasks based on strengths or weaknesses, maybe even gifts that are there. But Peter is focused on a heart and mind posture of wives toward their husbands, hearts and minds that have been transformed by the power of the gospel as a witness into the mission field at their home. 
Do you realize that sometimes the way that we have prayer requests for one another are ways that we gossip in public? It's a way that we can belittle each other. Well, it's just a prayer request. I'm just praying the truth. It's the truth in love. Probably not. This is what Peter is after here in our hearts today. He's saying that wives don't belittle your husband in public or in private. What else is it that women are called to do? They're called to demonstrate the gospel's truth in their own lives. You're called to live as a Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus, live as a follower of Jesus. Now, in this particular context, that's even toward an unbelieving spouse. That's even toward an unbelieving spouse. Even if your husband is a bad leader or decision maker. This is a testimony, that is a a declaration of the truth of the power of the gospel. We're going to talk a little bit more about what the gospel is here in just a moment. But look at verse 1 with me. And 2, it says this, so that even if some do not obey the word... They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see that you're respectful and pure conduct. This is not preaching the gospel without using words. The truth of the gospel, this good news, needs words to be declared. But it needs our lives to be declared as well. And it's saying not to get those out of balance with one another. In other words, you are not called to take on the role of the Holy Spirit in an unbelieving spouse. If you're here today and your husband is not a follower of the Lord, it doesn't mean that every day begins by you spelling out the good news of the gospel in his alphabet soup. It means that everything in life doesn't become a tract. It means that the way that you conduct yourself, for some of you it even means your attendance here this morning. It says that there is something greater in my life even than you. The way that you conduct yourself, the way that you go about your day, but you're not called to take on the role of the Holy Spirit to try to change them. Let me encourage this for any marriage, in any way. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit for your spouse. How about this for any relationship? Don't try to be the Holy Spirit for anyone. He's good at it. We're not. Don't be the Holy Spirit. Lead with question marks more than exclamation points. Lead with question marks more than definitive period at the end of the sentence. What is the Lord after in your heart these days? And when it doesn't line up with the thought that you might have coming into that conversation, lean in to where it is that the Lord is revealing himself to them. That's just called wisdom for our relationships it's what the lord calls us to but in this particular case he's addressing wives with unbelieving husbands and he's saying let your conduct be your witness let your conduct be what emphasizes the words that you say this is not to say that we never bring the truth of the gospel to them but it's to say that our actions are posture, our disposition, wives' disposition toward their husband is a way to display the truth and the power of the gospel, to show it in your everyday life. It's worth noting here that when Peter says that gentle and quiet, it doesn't mean that we never speak of the truth of the gospel, but it also does not mean that wives don't have a voice in their own home. You don't check your identity at the door. 
your identity is supposed to be informed by something greater than womanhood or manhood. What else is it that, God, that Peter is after that God is calling us to? We are called to display the gospel's beauty in her character. Wives are called to display the gospel's beauty in their character. Do you notice that there's a contrast that's given to us in verses 3 through 5? There's this contrast of what is external and what is internal. It says this, do not let your adorning be external by the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing that you wear. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. That's the contrast of external and internal. This passage is often tried to use to create some form of a doctrine of modesty where it almost makes it more about the external than it does about the internal. But Peter's point is actually to focus on the internal. What does he call the internal? He says it's imperishable. There's something eternal about what's going on each internally. Let me get my vowels right this morning. There's something eternal about the internal. That's Peter's focus. He's telling us that there is beauty that will fade. There are things about external that will change with fads and time. But he's saying that what should be, you should be giving yourself to develop is that internal character. So the external might be things like accessories or hairstyles. These don't matter as much as your heart does. The internal would be that quiet spirit, that changed heart, that renewed mind, that internal beauty is imperishable, ladies. For men or women here today, if your struggle is with the lust of the eye, can I caution you? When you make this passage more about externals, you may be falling into the trap of putting the responsibility for the sin of the lust of the eye on others rather than on your own hearts, your own minds, your own eyes. If you find a brother or a sister in a compromising system, avert your eyes. Don't give thought to it. I'm not saying there's never a place for a conversation about external modesty, what I'm saying is the primary point of this passage is to instruct us in wisdom. Let's not fall into the trap about making it about legalistic ways of living so that we might receive the good news of the gospel. Let's learn how to have self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Let's learn to be disciplined and faithful. Let's learn to look away and it not be a point of embarrassment. Let's learn to give God the glory with our eyes, our hearts, and our minds. You know, as I was thinking about this particular aspect of the passage, I was reminded of, well, candidly, I was reminded of the peacocks that live just outside the Kester's home. They're beautiful, but I don't live near them. I have never met a person that enjoys living near peacocks. I know a lot of people that like looking at them. I know designers love including their feathers in their designs. Peacocks are beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, I've heard them described as demon cats. They're messy. All right, that sounds awful to me. 
How about I ask the question this way this morning? Not just for women, for all of us here. How is it that we're peacocking our faith this morning? What do I mean? Oh, y'all look good. You look clean. You look like you got your act together. I don't know what's going on in everybody's lives. Peacocks. What's that demon cat inside your soul? What's that thing going on inside that it's hiding, that nobody wants to live near? You see, that's what Peter's after. He's not about the good show. He's about a right heart. Church, don't put up fronts with each other. Don't make it all about peacocking your faith. When you're in community group, when you're at lunch with other brothers and sisters, don't just try to peacock your faith. Make it about what God's after in your heart. Make it about that imperishable beauty. See, this instruction for wives actually instructs all of us, doesn't it? It begins to help us understand what it is that God's after. But ladies, I do have a question for you this morning. Are you working hard, as hard or harder, to cultivate an inner beauty as you are your external looks? That is a real application question that comes from this passage. It's something that we have to wrestle with. Ladies, please wrestle with this in your own hearts, in your own minds. What else is it that Peter's after? He wants women and wives to fear God rather than man. Wives, your frame of reference in this is not the role of your husband. Your frame of reference should be the things of God and not the circumstances of your life. Fear God rather than man. This is not just reverence of your husband. It's actually a reverence, a true and right reverence of the awe of the Lord your God. Your spiritual fulfillment will not come at the point of marriage. Some of you know that all too well and tragically and heartbreakingly. Those who are single, those who are married, the call here is to find your spiritual fulfillment in God and not your situation in life. Husbands, God's not done with you either. Men, what does it say here? Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's both a charge and a caution here, husbands. We're charged to appreciate our wife as different. Not simply different than us, different than any other woman. Unique and special for you. In an understanding way means that it's according to a knowledge of her. That she is different and you should understand those differences. Throughout the years as Stephanie and I have done premaritals, And any couples that have gone through premaritals with us in the last few years, this is going to be a familiar phrase to you, but we harp on this idea of going into marriage as a a term of exploration, not expectation. Your marriage should be a time of exploration and not expectation. We use this quite a bit, but can I say that this does not just apply to the beginning of your marriage? 
Your entire marriage should be given to exploration and not expectation of one another. We don't have a perfect marriage. I've never met anyone that has a perfect marriage. But we're still pursuing this idea of exploration versus expectation. Our years together have been filled with learning, with growth, with difficulty, with delight, discovery, heartaches, tragedies, hurtful times, and ecstatic moments together. But if we pause and think about it, not even Jesus has the perfect marriage yet. Think about it. The church is described as the bride of Christ. Why is it that I would say something so scandalous as not even Jesus has the perfect marriage yet? Because we, as the church, are his spouse. We cheat on him. We don't trust him at times. We don't want to submit to him at times. We cast a longing eye on others rather than Jesus. And yet, he welcomes us in time and time again. Husbands, appreciate your wife as different. Honor your wife as precious. As we're talking about this word to honor, it's the same root word that is describing the honor that emperors and rulers are to be afforded. Honor them, but honor them as weaker that, that almost seems like this juxtaposition, this contrast that's difficult to get past. Honor them as weaker. Perhaps another way that we might understand that is vulnerable. Now, the idea of women being vulnerable is a contentious topic today. I was just reading about some different things that the Olympic Committee is doing in preparation for next summer's Olympic Games in 2024. But you see, the IOC and sports may struggle with the idea of men and women being different, but Scripture is clear that men and women were created differently. Treat women, honor women as vulnerable. Recognize vulnerabilities. Don't exploit them or manipulate them for your gain or your pleasures. Women are different and should be treasured as such. Honor your wife as precious. What else are men called to do? You are called to walk with your wife as a partner. Last night we were with some friends, and this word was used to partner with your wife, and my friend took it too far. He wanted to partner with her in everything partner with her and picking up that fork full of food. That's not what we're talking about here. Guys, we all have that propensity to take a good joke and beat it to death. Partner with your wife. How do I mean that? What do I mean by partnering with them in the gospel? Is it the same way that we partner with other churches in the community? No. You should see your wife as a co-heir for eternity and treat her as such. You should see your wife as the recipient of the same grace that you have received. See your wife as a participant in the same gospel. Jesus died for her too, and she gets it all. 
with you in eternity. See, Paul declares a higher principle in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. He says this, to submit to one another out of reverence for your role as a husband? No. Your submission as a wife? No. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. She gets it all. This basic principle of the Christian faith helps us to understand how it is that we, husbands and wives, men and women, live under the lordship of Christ, and we are willing servants, joyfully submitting to one another as servants both of Christ and servants of one another. But I mentioned that there's a caution, so that your prayers may not be hindered. See, the Lord sees the way that you as husbands treat his people, your wives. Do you want to stand before him today in light of that? Wives, do you want to stand before him today in light of that? Because he sees all of that. To husbands, he specifically says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That warning here for husbands is for all of us. The hypocrisy in our actions reveal truths about who we are. The hypocrisies in our hearts before the Lord Almighty will hinder our prayer before him. Why is that? It reveals a part of our heart that is not yet surrendered to him. It reveals a part of our life that is not yet submitted to him. First and foremost. Now, I've been wrestling this week as as I've been studying Where is the gospel connection in this? Where is the hope of the gospel in the midst of this? And I propose to you today, it's in the word likewise. Look at it with me. Likewise, wives. That's in verse 1. Verse 7, likewise, husbands. Like what? Well, I think that Peter is referring to some things that he said just in the passages before. Consider 1 Peter 2, 21, where he says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. An example of what? Serving one another. Submitting to one another. Surrendering your life to the Lordship of God as our Father, so that you might follow in his steps. A few verses down in 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25, it says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Remember, church, the good news of the gospel is not about what we do first, Because of what Christ did for us, we willingly submit to his lordship. And our lives can display this through obedience to his word alone. Don't let the prickly nature of our culture rob you of being fully surrendered to his will for your life today. As I was preparing this morning reading back through my notes, making some adjustments, making sure that Stephanie had seen my notes and had input. I had this thought, babe, would you join me on stage? We want to pray for couples in this church. 
I'm going to pray for husbands and wives in this church. I'm going to ask you to do something. And this is not to elevate you. This is not to isolate you in any way, shape, or form. This is not to make any here today who are in the season of being single feel belittled or less than. But church, I want to pray for the husbands and wives here today. So if you are here today with or without your spouse, you are a husband or a wife, would you please stand so that we might just take a moment as we prepare to respond in worship. Now here's what we're not doing. We're not looking around and seeing a wife standing by herself and saying, whoa, what's going on there? Well, now we're not doing that. We're not looking at a husband standing alone and saying, well, she must just be submitted at home with the kids again. No, we're not doing that. What we're praying for is this. We can't live this without the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't have a life of exploration versus expectation without the help and the power of the good news of the gospel, releasing us from the bonds of the life that we've been rescued from. We can't learn how to embrace vulnerabilities without manipulating them, without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't even learn how to rest in the good news of the gospel in those areas of our lives where we are wore out without the Holy Spirit at work in us. I think I covered all the categories. And still I may not have touched on what's going on in your life today. But the good news is not that I've thought about what you're walking through. The good news is the Lord sees what you're walking through. He wants to minister to you today by the power of his Holy Spirit. Church, as we just begin to have a posture of worship, would you join me as we pray together? Thank you so much for the good gift of marriage. We thank you that you've created each one of us uniquely and by design so that with our spouses we can join together and honor and glorify you. Lord, I pray for each of the couples in this room within our church, whether they're here with us today or not. Lord, I ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, that you will work mightily within us. That those areas where we may put up a front or we may hide what's actually going on inside, Lord, I pray that you will bring to light what needs to come to light. Lord, if our marriages are supposed to reflect you, may we reflect you well. That we may show a dying world, a hungry world, your goodness through what, what you've designed. Help us to honor one another in a way that, that doesn't belittle or doesn't um, put down or put in place 
but God, that we can celebrate each other in the gifts that you've given us and the strengths that you've given us, that we can build one another up. We need your help or we will fail. We can't do this without your help. Lord, I pray today for the wives here. No matter their circumstances, no matter the length of time that they've been married, these are difficult truths to hold in tension with the culture around us. So what we start with today in prayer for our wives is that there would be a, an all-consuming desire to glorify you with our lives. Lord, help us to start there. And let all the rest of this fall into order. Lord, we want to glorify the one by laying down our lives who laid down his life for us. We want his name to be what goes forward in our homes, in our workplaces, on our campuses, as we are out and about in everyday life, in those moments in prayer meetings and Bible studies and community groups. Lord, I pray for the wives in this church. Lord, for those here this morning who may be convicted by any of these points, that their disposition toward their husband is not favorable, that their eyes have been wandering to wishing that they were being led by other men, or that you would have called them to a different circumstance. For those wives today, would you both reveal what it is that you're after in their heart and then show them how it is that you resolve that with your good news? Comfort hearts today Holy Spirit slow the racing mind arguing with everything that is revealed so plainly in your word and show them your glory and your beautiful design for husbands here today who find themselves in this place that they have a wife that is actually more, spiritual, more spiritually adept than them. And they disqualify themselves because they say, I'm not as spiritual as they are, I can't lead her. I'm not as gifted as she is, I can't lead her. Whatever the fill in the blank is of their excuses for that they cannot lead their wives, that they cannot be engaged in what it is that you have designed for them. Holy Spirit, both reveal that, convict, and help them to repent. Lord, for husbands and wives here today, where eyes may be wandering, with the lust of the eye, whether it's a husband or wife dealing with pornography or a flirtatious relationship at work, somebody who else who just seems to get them, and they're flirting with disaster. Holy Spirit, reveal that today and cut that off for your glory. We want our lives not to reveal how good we are, 
but how great you are. We want our lives to be a powerful demonstration of the application of the blood of Jesus toward everything in life and how it changes everything in life. We want our lives to be a powerful display of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, giving us power for witness and a testimony, giving us hope for using our gifts, giving us a glorious calling beyond what so many of us settle for. Lord Jesus, strengthen the marriages in this room. Strengthen the marriages listening to this online right now. Strengthen your church for your glory, we pray. And may we all rejoice and sing glory to your name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory.